welcome to the North Shore Church audio podcast. To find out more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. I hope you're doing good. If you have your Bibles, open up to Genesis. Open it up to Genesis. That's the very beginning. The very beginning, Genesis. We're going to be in two chapters real quick, chapter 13 and chapter 24. Uh, we'll get to those in just a second. I was listening to a radio interview the other day with an actor by the name of John Krasinski, and he's most famous for his role as Jim in the TV show The Office. And um, uh, John Krasinski, he's, he's a tall guy. He's pretty average. He's not like big. He's not super skinny. He's just a tall um, average kind of lanky guy and in this interview that he was having on the radio he was discussing the role that he played in the movie 13 hours which was uh, a movie about the the Benghazi episode and in that movie he played a soldier that that came in and so he had to change his body type a little bit to fit the role and so he went through a workout weightlifting uh, routine to change his his physical look and he he morphed really from this kind of tall uh, not super skinny but kind of lanky guy in the office to this just this monster in the 13 hour movies where he has all of this muscle and he put on all of this weight just a complete physical change and um, as they were talking in this interview he was asked about his workout uh, routine and the process and this actor said it was insanely difficult to change like this it, the process of going from the office you know actor to this actor was a ton of work and so the interviewer asked him so now since the movie's over are you going to go back to eating donuts and sitting on the couch and watching tv or are you going to keep this up and john krasinski said you know it took so much work to get here I think I'm going to stay, um, uh, right? Good choice. We've all gone through phases, haven't we? How many of you have gone through a workout phase? Let me see your hands. Let me see. Hands up everywhere. Keep those hands up if you've gone through a workout phase, okay? If you are currently in your workout phase, keep your hand up. Okay, not so many of you. Nice, nice. We all go through those phases, don't we? Many of us go through those exercise phases, you drop some pounds, you're eating right, you're feeling great, but it's really hard to stay there, isn't it? It's really hard to stay there. It's really hard to keep it up. You know, the number one thing that is guaranteed to kill your workout phase is buying a treadmill. The second you buy a treadmill, your workout phase is done, right? You buy any expensive equipment, you're like, oh, I'm done with that. So don't buy the equipment, right? Just keep doing those push-ups and sit-ups. We all go through those phases. Some of you go through a phase at work. Some of you have gone through those phases at work. You're determined to pursue and fight for career advancement. You say, I'm going to work harder. I'm going to apply myself. I'm going to th take things more serious. I I'm going to really do whatever I can to give extra and to do more, to, to find that career advancement and then... Unfortunately, from time to time, you'll slip back into those old habits and tendencies. Some of you have gone through a little bit of a book phase, a reading phase. You've heard it said that leaders are readers and you want to be a leader, so, so you're determined to make yourself a reader, and so you're getting all these books. You're saying, I'm going to read. 
you get that first book and you shut the TV off and you crack it open and you fly through that first book and you're like, this is awesome. I can do this. This is going to be who I am from now on. You get that second book and you get halfway through and you're like, man, I am done with this reading garbage. No more of this. Give me the remote and let's get back to normal, right? Some of those phases. We try to change, but it gets really hard to stay there. Some of you are going through a self-discovery phase. You're trying to figure out who exactly you're going to be. Maybe you've learned some things about yourself, and, and you're looking for ways to better yourself, to be a better you. And so you're really thinking on these things and working hard, but it's really, really difficult to stay there. A trip through your closet will reveal some strange fashion phases, won't it? Won't it? Some of you with your bell bottoms or skinny jeans or deep v-necks or whatever weird thing you guys were wearing back when you were in high school or now that you're in high school or different places. It's just strange phases. Maybe you've gone through a phase with your kids in which you were determined to be more active, present, involved. I'm going to be engaged. When I'm home, I'm going to be engaged. I'm not going to be distracted by anything else anymore. I'm going to give them my all. Maybe you're in a phase where you're determined to to, um, honor your spouse and put their needs before your own. And you're going to love sacrificially. And you're going to change. And you do good for a while. But it's really hard to stay there. How many of you know that's true? Life happens and... Distractions come up. Our church directory is full of people who went through a God phase. Many of you here that have been attending for a long time, you can think of people, faces, names, uh, of people who have been a part of this church or were a part of this church for a while. And, and for whatever reason, they've drifted away and they're no longer here and they're no longer serving the Lord. And um, sort of their God phase has ended and they're not here. They're not around anymore. We've had many people that were here pursuing God, attending church faithfully, looking like they were changing. But it was just a phase. Some of you are here this morning, and you're right now in your God phase. This is your God phase. You aren't really convinced if all this church stuff is really for you, so you're just checking it out, and you don't know yet whether or not you're going to stay, whether or not it's going to stick. Maybe you're a believer here. You've been... um, serving the Lord for a long time, but, but at one point or another in your life, maybe it was after a, a camp meeting or some revival services, you were in a phase where you were just really radical for God, all in, sold out for God. I love Jesus with every part of me, and I'm thinking about Jesus, and you're hitting your church disciplines and, and your, your, your uh, growth Um, disciplines, Bible reading and prayer and giving, all of those things you're just absolutely nailing, but eventually things change because it's really hard to stay there. And it sort of was your, you know, your overzealous for Jesus phase. And you've kind of slipped back into uh, more of a, you know, kind of lukewarm, casual Sunday morning, maybe a little bit of Wednesday type Christianity. For many of us, there's a point in which we look back and we realize that our life is a graveyard of phases that never really fully panned out. We work hard. We we improve. We do better. And for a while, we're happy with our results. We're proud of our accomplishments. We like what we see. We like what God is doing in us. We like how God is changing us. And so why does it become so difficult for us all the time to stay there? Why is it that these become 
phases that are so hard to maintain. My concern for many of us here today is that we have confused the callings and the promises of God for just a phase, just another phase in our life. I would say this, don't ever confuse a promise for a phase. Don't ever confuse a promise for just another phase. So what we're going to do real quick this morning is we're going to look at a, a guy in the Bible. His name was Abraham. And I want us to consider this story here in Genesis in which Abraham made an aggressive and definitive distinction between a phase and a promise. And Abraham's really going to show us what we can do to make sure that we don't ever confuse the promises of God for a phase in our life. So let me just give you a little bit of a backstory. Many of you know who Abraham is. Some of you don't. Abraham, uh, when he was 75 years old, God appeared to Abraham and called him out of his homeland. He shows up and he tells Abraham, Abraham, I want you to leave your home. I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave this place that is familiar to you. I want you to leave everything you know. And I'm going to call you out of that place. And I'm going to take you to a land that I'm going to show you. So leave everything you know. Come and follow me. I'm going to take you to this land that I'm going to show you. And then God says, Abraham, uh, more than that, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to multiply you. I'm going to make you famous. You're going to have so many descendants. You are going to be a great nation, more descendants than you can even count. Furthermore, Abraham, all the families on the earth are going to be blessed because of you. Everybody in the world, essentially, God is saying, is going to know you and be better because of you. This is a huge promise. This is a too-good-to-be-true type of promise. And so Abraham follows. He leaves his home, and he follows God to the land that God shows him. They go to the land of Canaan. Um, and when he gets to the land of Canaan, God stops him, and he appears to him again. And he says, Abraham, this is the land. This is the place. This is where I've called you to. This is the land here in Canaan that I'm giving to your descendants. The land of Canaan is what we often refer to as the promised land. And so if any time you're in a, a service or a Bible study or anything, and, and they say the promised land, talking about the promised land, the land of Israel, this is where it all starts. When God calls Abraham out of his home and takes him to the promised land, the land of Canaan. Genesis chapter 13, verse 14. And the Lord said to Abram, and in this, let me just say this, Abram and Abraham are, are the same people. We'll kind of interchange those names throughout. The Lord said to Abram, look as far as you can see in every direction, north and south, east and west. I am giving all of this land as far as you can see to you and your descendants as a permanent possession. And I will give you so many descendants that like the dust of the earth, they cannot be counted. Then he says, go and walk through the land in every direction, for I am giving it to you. This land, the physical property of Canaan, where Abraham or Abram was standing, was part of the promise. He told Abram, go check it out. Go examine it. Go and walk the land. Go and survey the promise. So that's what Abraham did. He walked the land. And what did he do when he walked the land? He began to dream. He began to pray. He began to envision the future of his 
family, the future of Israel. He didn't even know that that's what it would be known as at that time. But he, he began to envision what the future would look like. Future generations living on this land. He saw the areas of this land that were fertile, that were ripe and ready to be planted and cultivated for great things. He, he saw the areas that were rocky and difficult. He saw the areas that were exposed to enemy attack that would be easily fortified in different ways that they could do that. As Abraham surveyed the land, as he walked the land, he began to dream, he began to hope, he began to envision future generations and families and, and great-grandsons and great-great-great-great-great-grandsons living in this area and growing and thriving in the promises of God. Why would God ask Abraham to walk the land? I think, number one, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. He wanted Abraham to examine the promise. To examine the promise. To get up close and personal with the promise of God. Every one of us needs to be better at this. We need to learn to examine the promises of God. In a very real sense, we need to be a people that are willing to walk the land. A people that are willing to get down and to get close and to reach out and touch the promises of God. Even before we receive the promises of God. Because in this portion, just because God gave Abraham the promise doesn't mean at this point he's given Abraham the land. Right? The land of Canaan was still in possession of the Canaanites. In fact, it wouldn't be for over 400 years before Abraham's descendants possess the promised land. But God wanted him to examine the promise. There's some of you here today who are believers and God has given you a promise. And whether it's through the scripture or the prompting of the Holy Spirit, there was a clear call, there was a clear anointing, there was a clear promise. You heard the promise, you received it. You can remember the moment, the time, the date, where you were, what was happening, and how the Lord spoke to you. But since that moment, you haven't taken any time, like Abraham, to survey the promise. You haven't walked the land. Why? Would God ask Abraham to walk the land? Because he wanted Abraham to take ownership, not of the land, but of the promises of God. He wanted Abraham to familiarize himself with the possibilities. He wanted Abraham to dream. He wanted Abraham to get a glimpse of the future. For too many of us, we hear the promises of God, or we read the promises of God, and we stop at the hearing there's very little hope. We just, we hear it and we think, oh, okay, that's great, that's good, and we move on. And we never spend an ounce of physical or intellectual energy examining the promises. And when we refuse to or, or fail to examine the promises of God, those promises for many of us turn into just another phase. Just another thing. That God spoke to our heart and we got all excited about and we got all energized to do for a couple of weeks or a couple of months and then it just sort of faded back into uh, the past in that graveyard of phases in our life that never panned out because we refuse to examine the promises. We have to let the promises of God take root deep in our heart and deep in our spirit. There are some of you here this morning that wouldn't necessarily call yourself a follower of Jesus. You wouldn't call yourself a believer. You're interested in God and you have lots of questions, but you're skeptical about all of this. You're, you're skeptical about 
uh, God uh, and, and the promises that God has for you. But I want you to know something this morning. God does have promises for you. He has promises of hope. There's promises of a future. God has promises of blessings for you. God has promises of salvation for you. God has promises of forgiveness for you. God has promises of healing for you. God has promises of eternity in paradise for you. God has promises of forgiveness for you. God has endless amounts of promises for you. God has endless amounts of blessings for you. And I get it, you're skeptical and you hear these things and you feel like, yeah, you know what, that just sounds too good to be true. And usually if something is too good to be true or sounds too good to be true, it probably is. But I want you to think back to Abraham and when God showed up and he revealed the promise to him. And Abraham was essentially a nobody. And God said to Abraham at 75 years old, I'm going to pluck you out of obscurity I'm going to take you to a place that you don't know, and I'm going to bless you so much, so much, that there will not be one person on this earth that isn't affected by your legacy. That sounded too good to be true to Abraham, no doubt. But Abraham was faithful to follow. And when Abraham got to the land, he walked the land, and he began to examine the promises. My challenge for you this morning is to examine the promises. Even those ones that are too good to be true. These promises that are too good to be true are really easy to ignore. The promises that are too good to be true are really easy to ignore. And if you're skeptical, be skeptical. That's fine. Be skeptical. If you have questions, ask questions. That's fine. But begin to walk the land. Begin to examine the promises of God. Because every spiritual step that you take and every page that you turn, the promises of God will begin to take root a little bit deeper in your spirit, a little bit stronger in your heart. The thing that breaks my heart this morning is that there are some of you, as I look out over this congregation, I know that for some of you this is just a phase. That you're here this morning because your boyfriend or girlfriend attends and, and you wanted to be with them, so you endure the church. You're here because maybe you've been going through a little bit of a rough patch. Things haven't been going for, well for you lately, and so you thought maybe you could give God a try. Maybe I could go into the church and God would see me sitting here and I get a check mark for attendance and he would sprinkle some magic dust over me. And when I walk out, everything is better. You just give God a shot. Maybe you're here because, um, you know, your kids are getting a little older and, uh, you know, you don't want them to grow up to be little hellions. And so you think, well, let's give the church a shot. Maybe, you know, the church can, like, maybe it'll be good. For, it'll probably be good for them because, you know, they're kids and they need, they need God, not so much us. But we'll be here for our kids and, and maybe you're here for your kids and, and uh, this is just a phase for you right now. You're resistant to it all. You're skeptical of us. You're skeptical of God. You're, you're looking here in our church for holes and flaws in our integrity and in our systems. Let me just set your mind at ease. You're going to find them really fast. We have lots of holes. We have lots of flaws. We are broken people saved by grace, but still broken, right? You're going to find them. If you want to know where they are, come and let me know. Come and ask me. I can point those out to you. I can see them all really, really clearly. I know where we fall short. 
but you're, you're, you're looking for something. But let me just tell you, through the skepticism, through all the questions, if you begin to examine the promises, if you begin to listen to the promises that are written in this word, if you begin to hear pastors and teachers and Sunday school teachers and equipped classes and all those people uh, speak on the promises of God, as you begin to walk the land and examine the promises that God has for you, this will become far more than just a phase. Become far more than just a phase. Some of you have been serving God for some time and you have a calling, a divine Holy Spirit promise, but you haven't done anything practically to walk the land. Maybe that promise was to adopt a child. Maybe there was a moment where, where God spoke to your heart and he called you out of that place that you were and he said, you, I want you to adopt a child. I'm calling you to adopt a child but you haven't done anything about it. You haven't made a phone call. You haven't asked questions. You haven't read any books about it. You don't know any agencies. You, you, you haven't looked into anything. You haven't begun to dream, to envision the future or walk the land. Maybe God has called you to start a new business, to start your own business. That was the promise that God has placed in your life. That was the place that he called you out of. But you, you, don't, you don't even know where to begin. You haven't dreamed about it. You haven't envisioned it. You haven't put any flesh on this at all. You haven't done anything to walk the land. Maybe um, God called you to go on a missions trip. Maybe you've heard some of us talk about our mission experiences up here and you felt like, man, I'd really like to do that and the Lord quickened your heart, something that you'd like to do, but, but you haven't done anything to pursue it. You, you, you don't know the name of a single missionary. All right? you, don't, you don't read anything about missionaries. You haven't saved any money for the next potential missions trip that the church might be going on. You haven't done anything to dream or to put real flesh on it. And when you refuse to walk the land, the promise becomes just another phase. Sometimes you have to walk the land for a long time before you see the fulfillment of the promise. And so I challenge you, ask yourself today, what is it that, what's the land that I need to walk? What are those areas of my life that I need to go back and re-examine? What are the questions that I need to be asking? Who are the people that I need to be connecting with? Who are the people that I need to be talking to? What are the books that I need to be reading right now to learn to walk the land? So there's just a little bit more to this story than just the land, although that was really important. At this point, Abraham was 75 years old. He was older he was childless, and um, God, when he was telling them, when God was telling Abraham that he was going to give him this land, he was telling him that his descendants were going to be so many that they were going to outnumber the sands on the seashore, which was strange because Abraham and his wife Sarah were past, really past the, the age of, of childbearing years. And so how was God going to bless Abraham's descendants when he didn't have any? So many of you know the story. Um, God allowed Abraham and his wife Sarah to get pregnant at a very old age. And so now they're really dealing with multiple promises. Not only are they, they looking at and anticipating a future in the promised land, they also know that the fulfillment of that promise is going to happen through the promised son. So we got two promises, the land and the son. The boy and the property are really intricately connected and the fulfillment of the call of God on Abraham's life. Abraham can't, 
Abraham's descendants can't possess the promised land and multiply to the point where there are too many to count if he doesn't have a child. And so God gives him a child, and he gives him that, that boy Isaac. So to Abraham, Isaac was very, very special. So now we're to the point in Genesis chapter 24 where Abraham and his family have been living in this land for some time. They've been there for about 40 years. They still haven't possessed the land. Like I said, they won't possess the land for another 400 plus years, but they're there. Second thing that we need to see is this. Number one is that we need to examine the promise. Number two is that we need to expect the promise. We need to expect the promise. We need to live a life fully expecting that God not only can do what he says he will do, but that he will do what he says he will do. Right? Not only that he can, but that he will. And so Genesis chapter 24, at the start of it, Isaac at this time is 40 years old and he's not married. Abraham doesn't have a whole lot of time left, so he has to get these last few things in order before he dies. And so we're going to read here in Genesis chapter 24, um, the first eight verses. Now, watch this. Abraham was now a very old man, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. One day, Abraham said to his oldest servant, the man in charge of his household, take an oath by putting your hand under my thighs, swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, that you will not allow my son to marry one of these local Canaanite women. Basically, what he was saying to, to his servant is, um, my boy needs a wife, and um, it's not going to be one of these Canaanite women who doesn't know, serve, and worship Jehovah God, the God of the Bible, the God that called Abraham out of his home into this place. So we need to find my son a wife, but I don't want you to be looking here in Canaan amongst these pagan women who serve false gods. So he says, this is important. We've got to find him a wife. He says, verse 4, Go instead to my homeland, to my relatives, and find a wife there for my son Isaac. Verse 5, the servant asked, But what if I can't find a young woman who is willing to travel so far from home? Should I then take Isaac there to live among your relatives in the land you came from? So, so let's say, Abraham, that, that I get there and I'm trying to find a wife for him. And I'm telling him, I'm telling them about how awesome Isaac is and how strong he is and handsome he is and how much money he has and all the great things that are going to happen in Isaac's life. And uh, none of these ladies will come back to Canaan because it's too far from home. What if I can't convince anybody to come back? If, if that happens, Abraham, should I take Isaac back home to them? Look at what Abraham says, verse 6. No, Abraham very emphatically says no. Listen, be careful never to take my son there. For the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and my native land, solemnly promised to give this land to my descendants. Don't you dare take my son away from this place. This is the land that was promised to my descendants. He is my descendants. This is his home. This is his promise. Abraham says that he will, God will send an angel ahead of you and he will see to it that you will find a wife there for my son. If she is unwilling to come back with you, then you're free from this oath of mine. But under no circumstances are you to take my son there. Under no circumstances are you to take my son away from this place. 
under no circumstances are you to take the promise from the land. Don't you ever take my boy from this place. Listen, when God marks you for a blessing, accept nothing less. It would have been real easy and real comfortable for Isaac to go back home. It would have been real easy for Abraham to go back home. He would have stuck out less. He would have fit in more. It would have been more comfortable, more familiar to him. In Canaan, really, Abraham and his tribe were the only ones that were separate and distinct from everybody else. Going back home would have been a lot more comfortable, a lot more familiar. But often, God has to call us out of that place of comfort into the place of blessing, and he wants us to stay until the promise is fulfilled. There will always come a moment in our lives when you have the chance to turn a promise back into a phase. Those moments when you start looking back, when you start looking at how things used to be. Those moments where you forget the power of the promise. Those moments where you begin to doubt, when you begin to wonder, maybe I just misheard God. Maybe I misunderstood God. Maybe I got caught up in the emotion and the excitement of the church service and, and I was listening to the stories of the missionaries and they were saying this and I just, I just got caught up in it and, and, and maybe that wasn't really God after all. And, and you begin to, to look back and you begin to anticipate going back and, and you think, well, maybe, maybe that was just a phase. It might be easier if I just go back to the way things were. It might be easier if I, just, if I just went back to doing what I knew how to do. Went to that place that I was familiar and comfortable with. You see, after 40 years, Abraham still believed this was the land that God was going to give them. He still knew that the promise was good. He still expected the promise to be fulfilled. And he wasn't going to let the promise leave the land. Let's go back to Romans chapter 4. It's the passage that we read just a few moments ago uh, when, we, when we were praying over little Aubrey. Romans chapter 4, verse 20. In light of the story that we just told, in light of him being there for 40 years, having the promise without the possession of the land, this is what it says, verse 20. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. And in this, talking about both the boy and the land. In fact, his faith grew stronger And in this, he brought glory to God. Verse 21, he was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. This land is the promise. This land will be possessed through the child who is the child of the promise. Under no circumstances will you separate those two. Because Abraham was fully convinced that God would fulfill the promises in his life. Even those promises that were way too good to be true. Abraham was fully convinced. There are critical moments in life when your actions prove your faith or will expose your lack of faith. And this was one of them. It would have been easy for Isaac to go back home. It would have been easy for him to go to that place of comfort where he was more accepted, where his faith and his beliefs were, were more in line with everybody else's. But that would have been rejecting the promise. Those moments will thrust you into the realm of more than just a phase. When Abraham said, by no means are you to take my son there, he was saying, more than anything, this is the one thing, more than anything, I believe that the promises of God are true. 
and will come to pass. Don't ever let the promise leave the land. Never backwards. Never going back. Don't let the promise leave the land. In this life, you're going to face difficult decisions. You're going to face distractions. You'll face seasons where you lose emotional momentum. Right? Where things just get long. You get tired. I just don't have the energy to pursue the promises of God or trust the promises of God like I used to. I don't know. Maybe I just misheard. Maybe God wasn't really speaking to me. Maybe it was just wishful thinking. I don't know. Maybe these promises in the scripture are for somebody else. Maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe, maybe God is saying, hey, this is for people who meet some sort of uh, criteria or requirement, but, but these, these can't apply to me. And so maybe I just need to, to call it good and to go back to those things that, that I was comfortable with. think that if Jesus was here he would say man when you are pursuing the promises of God don't ever go backwards never backwards there's for some of you God has called you out of that place where you used to exist he's called you out of addiction man there's something compelling you to go back don't ever go back there's some of you that that God has called you out of bondage in, in just your, your inability to love and to forgive yourself and you're finding that love and acceptance in Christ but, but there's something that keeps pulling you back. Don't ever go back. Don't ever go back. God, for many of you, has called you out of faithlessness. He has revealed himself to you in glory and honor and power. But you're in this place now where you're kind of beginning to doubt, where, where maybe you, you've been here for a long time, but you're not seeing every, every promise instantly fulfilled. And so you're beginning to wonder and doubt, thinking maybe I need to go back to where I'm from. Don't ever go back. Don't ever go back. Stay here. I know sometimes it's hard. I know sometimes it's difficult. I know Abraham's faith grew stronger, but sometimes you feel like you're in a season where your faith is growing weaker. Forget it. Stay here. Don't go back. Never backwards. Stay here. Stay here. Stand your feet all across this place. As we close our time here today, I want you to consider what Jesus did for you. Think about, think about this. Think about all the work that Jesus did to, to, number one, create your promised land in eternity, in heaven. He, he, he created eternity in heaven and paradise for you. And consider all the work that, that went into Jesus creating that place for you, but also all the work that Jesus did to provide you access to that place of eternity. Like, it wasn't really easy, was it? I mean, we just sang the powerful name of Jesus. We, we sang, what other king would leave his throne? Like, think about what Jesus did. He abandoned his throne. He abandoned the place of perfection in heaven to come down and to submit himself, creator submitting himself to creation.
not only submitting himself to creation, but submitting himself to the curses of creation. Submitting himself to the, the, the fists of creation. Submitting himself to the spit of creation. Submitting himself to the ridicule of his creation. Submitting himself to the nails of his creation. What other father would give his son? What other king would leave his throne? Think about the work that went into giving you access to be in that place of promise. And right now, those of you who are believers who are here, you have the promise of the promised land, but you haven't yet fulfilled, received the full benefit of it because you're not there yet. You're not in possession of it. But Jesus went to great lengths to give you access to bring you to this point. Jesus didn't just mosey on down to the corner store and pick up a box of salvation for you, right? He purchased this with his life, with his blood, with his sacrifice. It took a lot of work for Jesus to pave the way for you to get here. Stay here. Stay here. Bow your heads, close your eyes all across this place. There are some of you in this place this morning that you would say, you know what, I've heard the promises of God before, I've felt the call of the Holy Spirit on my life, but I've never actually left that place that I'm comfortable with. I've never actually left that place that I'm familiar with. I've never actually said, you know what, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. I'm going to abandon myself and everything that I know and am comfortable with and familiar with and fully submit my life to Jesus. But I feel like I'm ready today. I feel like I'm ready to surrender it all to Jesus. There's another group here today that, you know, maybe you're, maybe you're living in that place of promise. Maybe you haven't received the promise yet, but you're, but you're living there. And as you're there, you've grown tired and weary. And as you're there, you're tempted to, to, to go back. You're tempted to go back to that place. You're tempted to go back to what's comfortable. You're tempted to abandon all the work that you've put in to getting to this place. You're thinking, you know what? It's just too hard to stay here. Maybe you fall in one of those two categories. You've never left that place. You've never listened to the call of God, but you're hearing it for the first time. Or maybe you have, and you've listened, and you said yes, but you're thinking about going back. Not necessarily going back to a life of sin, but, but maybe there's just some really very clear, specific call or clear, specific promise that you've received and you've held in your heart. And you're, you're coming to the place where you're like, you know what, that was just a pipe dream. I'm not holding on to that one anymore. And you've relegated the promises to being just a face. If that's you and you fall into either one of those categories, you've never left that place or you're feeling like, you know what, maybe I misheard, misunderstood, maybe that was just a phase. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm going to count to three. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand so I can pray with you. You've never left that place and you would say, you know what, for the first time, I want to commit my life to Jesus. Or you have been following Jesus, but you're beginning to doubt those promises. And you feel like in your heart you're, you're kind of beginning to abandon those. Either one of those, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand. On the count of three. One, two, three. Lift your hand if that's you all across this place. Man, I'm abandoned. I've fallen short. 
pray over you. Pastor Dan, begin to sing. And this is what I would ask you to do. Just because we have a couple minutes here. If you raise your hand for either one of those, would you take a really bold step and step out of where you're at right there in your seat and come down here and stand around these altars so that we can pray for you? Pastor Dan, you go ahead and begin to sing. Could you do that right now? Just step out of your place and come on down. I look, I know sometimes this is odd. I know sometimes this is a little scary and uncomfortable and people are going to think and judge. Let them. I can't stop them. But that's not anything for you to worry about. We could have our altar team come and begin to pray. I want to pray over you guys too. If you come down, would you just lift your hands just in worship? Just lift your hands in worship. Lift your hands in worship. All across this place, let's all together lift our hands in worship. Nothing can pass. If you have a friend or a family member and you're praying for them down here, you pray. But if not, would you just sing this with us? All across this place, let's just sing this. Let's, let this be the prayer on the lips of the people. promises are too good to be true but let us never reject them because they are too good to be true let us like Abraham continue to trust in them let our faith continue to grow Lord let us stay in this place of blessing even before we receive the full outpouring of your blessing let us never relegate your promises to just another phase let us trust you. Let us follow you. Let us stay with you. And Lord Jesus, those people that you are calling to follow you for the first time, or those that are, are hearing that call and responding to that call for the very first time, Lord, I pray that you would keep them. Pray that you would surround them with your love and your mercy. I pray that you would pour your spirit out on them in a way that they've never felt or experienced before. And God, those of us who are, are, are here and, and we doubt and we get discouraged and we anticipate maybe going backwards, Lord Jesus, let us stay. Renew our heart, renew our commitment, re renew our, our drive 
Lord. We love you and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, I love you. Keep going.